You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. All right, church. Well, if you will, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture, it's page 952 in the Pew Bible right in front of you. You know, a story is told of of an older lady who after a church service went up to the pastor and said, Pastor, that sermon was food for thought, but we prefer fast food. Church, it's been a busy morning, hasn't it? That being said, I will do my best to keep things moving, but no promises on the fast food. You know, in 1960, the U.S. Navy adopted the KISS principle. The acronym KISS stands for Keep It Simple, Stupid. This principle states that most systems work best if they're kept simple instead of complicated. Now, the phrase is thought to have originated by, from this guy named Kelly Johnson. He was a lead engineer at Lockheed Skunk Works, which was a semi-secret group that designed jet fighters and state-of-the-art technology. And Kelly explained the KISS method this way. He said, since most of his designs were meant to be used in combat situations... He told his designers that whatever they made, it had to be something that could easily be understood, operated, and repaired in the field by someone who had basic mechanical training and access to very simple tools. Why? Because a soldier in battle doesn't care about the cleverness of a product. They care about the practical usefulness of a product. If their products were overly complicated, they'd lose all of their effectiveness. And so therefore, the simpler the better. Well, church, it got me to thinking, in many ways, this same principle applies when it comes to the gospel, which is why I entitled today's message, Keep It Simple, Saints. You see, when it comes to sharing the gospel, we need to remember the simpler, the better. In fact, the moment when we try getting too clever with the gospel or the moment when we try getting too complicated with the gospel, the moment when we start messing with God's message, it begins to lose all of its effectiveness and transformative power. And so it's for this reason we need to keep it simple, saints. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Church, all this to say, the gospel message doesn't need to be jazzed up, marked up, changed up, worked up. The gospel doesn't need our help. It stands strong on its own. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, the gospel is like a cage lion. It does not need to be defended. It just needs to be let out of the cage. And so this morning, as we continue our study in 1 Corinthians, we're going to be reminded that the wonder-working, world-changing, life-giving power of the gospel is found in its simplicity. And as long as we, as God's people, remain faithful and consistent and unashamed in preaching the simple gospel, we can be sure that the Lord will use it to transform the lives of those who hear. Amen? Amen. Father God, as we enter into your word this morning, I will be the first to say that it's all meaningless unless your Holy Spirit is here speaking through me to your people. Father God, I pray that beginning with myself and everyone in this room, Lord, that we would not quench the Holy Spirit's work in our lives as we 
as we read your word and try to understand it, God, and apply it to our lives. Help us to be open to what you have to say through your word to us, through the power of your Holy Spirit, so that we can leave here a little bit different, a little bit more like you, for your honor and your glory. And all God's people said, amen. So church, the Corinthian believers needed to be reminded of the simplicity of the gospel. If you recall, they allowed human wisdom and philosophies and ideas to enter the church. And as a result, in a futile attempt to make themselves look more appealing to the unbelieving world, they tried to intellectualize and complicate the gospel. They messed with God's message. And so the Apostle Paul set out to correct their faulty thinking. So let's begin by reading, we're going to read the whole passage, just five verses and then we'll break it down. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Follow along with me. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In 2020, the Jesus Film Project conducted this multi-generational survey on evangelism. And they asked more than 1,600 Christians a variety of questions in regard to sharing their faith. And one of the questions was, what prevents people from sharing their faith? You know what the number one response was? Fear. Fear. Fear of losing relationships, fear of tension, fear of rejection, fear of being mocked, fear of making Christianity look bad, making God look bad, fear of not knowing all the answers, you name it. And so because of fear, many Christians simply don't share their faith. Now church, if this describes you, if this describes you, let me encourage you with a few thoughts. Number one, first, we need to remember that fear does not come from God. Never has, never will. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, which is the opposite of fear, right? But of power and of love and of self-control. That's number one. Number two, fear is a tactic that the enemy uses to make us ineffective in our faith. And in light of today's passage, we need to remember that many of our fears, listen, many of our fears when it comes to sharing the gospel will evaporate when we realize that a person's salvation isn't dependent upon our performance. Friends, we have vastly overcomplicated the gospel. We have overcomplicated what God designed to be simple. He's not looking for rock stars. He's looking for willing servants. Servants who will faithfully preach the simple gospel and leave the results in his hands. That's it. That's what he's looking for. And so I took the liberty of breaking down today's passage into four principles for keeping it simple. When it comes to sharing your faith, let's begin by looking at the first. Keep your method simple. Keep your method simple. Look at verse 1. This is Paul talking. He's talking to the church. He said, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Church, do you know what Franklin D. Roosevelt, Martin Luther King Jr., Winston Churchill, Ronald Reagan, Nelson Mandela, Bill Clinton, John F. Kennedy, Socrates, and Mr. Rogers all have in common? They're considered some of the world's greatest orators. Each one of them in their own way had or has a way of owning a room and captivating an audience. They have the power of persuasion and the power of inspiration. Man, when they spoke, people 
listened. However, as great as these qualities may be in the eyes of the world, we need to remember that when it comes to preaching the gospel, none of these qualities matter in the eyes of God. You see, a lot of Christians fear sharing the gospel because they're not gifted communicators. They're afraid that they're going to stumble through it and somehow cause the gospel to lose its effectiveness. Friends, the good news is that being a gifted orator or a gifted thinker or a gifted debater are not prerequisites for being a good evangelist. Interestingly enough, Paul lacked nothing in his educational or intellectual ability. He was academically trained under the famous Rabbi Gamaliel. He could also hold his own during debates. In terms of his earthly qualifications, Paul had an impressive resume. He was a brilliant scholar. And his upbringing, his nationality, his family background, his inheritance, orthodoxy, activity, and morality, they were second to none. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, look what he said about himself. He said, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight years old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. Later in verse 6, he says, and, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Church, needless to say, if Paul wanted to, he could have easily come to the Corinthians with lofty speech or wisdom. He could have easy, easily proclaimed the testimonies of God with compelling arguments and premises and logical constructs. He could have wowed the audience with eloquence and mastery and charm, but he chose not to. He chose not to. He deliberately kept his evangelistic method simple. Why? Because he wanted to remove himself from the equation. He wanted to remove himself from the equation so that God would get the glory. A few verses earlier, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So all this to say, when it comes to sharing the gospel, God isn't concerned with fanciness. He's concerned with faithfulness. Solid content is much better than crowd-pleasing charisma. Paul's example shows us that the life-changing power of the gospel isn't found in the style of the storyteller. It's found in the story itself. And so therefore, like Paul, Let's just not get hung up on our own performance. That's number one. Number two, the second principle. Keep your message simple. Keep your message simple. Look at verse two. For I decided, so Paul made a decision, right? I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. On October 15th, 1989, Billy Graham became the first clergyman to be honored with a star on the Hollywood Boulevard's Walk of Fame. I didn't know that. I didn't know he had, a, he had a star there. He was awarded the 1900th star for his work as a minister of the gospel. <laughs> Can you imagine in Hollywood? I don't, know if, I don't know if any more ministers are getting uh, stars, you know? But anyway, his, his star has a small little uh, old-time microphone symbol on it. It signifies all of his life's work. And so Billy Graham, he accepted this offer with humility but he used it as an opportunity to point people to Jesus. Here's what he said. He said, my primary desire today in having my name inscribed upon the walk of fame is that God would receive the glory. I hope someday somebody will come and say, who's Billy Graham? 
What did he stand for? Perhaps a child will ask his parents or grandparents, and they will tell him that he was not a celebrity, not a star, but a simple preacher of the gospel, and that they might explain the gospel to him, and that many might find Christ in that. Isn't that awesome? Church, Billy Graham had a singular laser focus on the gospel his entire ministry. No matter how big he became in the eyes of the world, he never let it go to his head. Nor did he ever cave to the pressures of secular society and change his message. For Billy Graham, it always, always, always came back to the simple gospel. In fact, you know, he preached thousands of messages, and he was a great communicator. And, and all of his messages were packaged differently, and that's fine. However, every message he preached always came back to the same focal point. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And God used that simple message, that focal point, to save an untold number of souls. Needless to say, Billy Graham, he did not come up with this technique. He learned this from the apostle Paul. You see, Paul's primary concern was to keep the simple message of the cross at the center of his preaching. Why? Because again, he knew that was a source of God's transformative power. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. It's the power of God, the message of the cross. And church, when you get right down to it, every single salvation story has one thing in common. Every story that you heard this morning with the baptisms have one thing in common. Every person who's ever been saved in the history of salvations all has one thing in common. Doesn't matter if you were saved as a young adult, or a child, I should say, or an adult. doesn't matter if you were saved out of a life of sin or saved from a life of sin. It doesn't matter if you were saved out of drug abuse or alcoholism or a life of promiscuity. It doesn't matter if you were saved in your house or in a jailhouse. At the end of the day, the one thing every salvation story has in common is the message of the cross. It never changes. It all boils down to that. Think about it. Every person who has ever come to faith in Jesus had to, at some point, hear and respond to the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Think about it. Doesn't matter if you heard it from the, most, from the greatest order in the world or some dude on the street. It's the same message. And it's for this reason that we, like Paul, must resolve to know nothing but this message. Now, Paul's not saying literally know nothing except the gospel. He, in other words, when it comes to preaching the gospel... We need to avoid getting lost in the weeds. Again, Paul could have easily overwhelmed his listeners with intellectual arguments. But he recognized that at the end of the day, winning an argument does not translate into winning a soul. Now, just to be clear, don't get me wrong, there is a time and place for healthy debates and apologetics. I mean, I get it. There's a time and place for that, of course. That's an important part of our faith. However, when it comes to winning souls, man, we just got to keep... The main thing, the main thing. We've got to do everything we can to tell people the simple message of the gospel. And let me tell you, Satan will do everything he can to derail us from doing that very thing. He will, he will, he, Satan is happy to let us get involved with intellectual arguments with the unsaved all day long. Go ahead, debate whatever you want. Spend hours going back and forth, getting in heated arguments, as long as it keeps you from sharing how to be saved. We've got to do everything we can 
to stay true to the simple message of the gospel. Which, of course, begs the question, well, what is the simple message of the gospel? What is the one message that has the power to change the lives of those who receive it? Well, I had to quote the late Tim Keller. He said this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare to believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So the Bible unpacks what this means this way. So here it is, the message of the cross in a nutshell. In the beginning, God created us to be with him, to have a relationship with him. But we chose to sin, and in doing so, we cut ourselves off from him. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And since God is holy, he cannot have anything to do with sin. And so therefore, if we're left in this sinful state, because all means all, so we're all sinners, we're all in this same sinful state, if we're left in this sinful state, when we die, instead of being in his presence forever, we must go to a place of eternal punishment. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. You see, friends, the bad news about the message of the cross is that we are all sinners. And this is the default destination for those who are sinners. That's the bad news. But the good news is, God loves sinners. No, he doesn't love our sin, but you better believe he loves sinners. But don't take my word for it. Look at Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still what? Sinners, Christ died for us. God loves sinners. You see, God in his great love for you became a man in Jesus. And then he died on the cross taking the punishment for your sins and my sins upon himself. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. And in doing so, he provided the way to receive forgiveness for your sins, be saved, and receive eternal life. And the only way to receive eternal life, by the way, is through faith in Jesus. You see, there's a lot of people who believe that if they're good outweighs their bad, that they're going to go to heaven when they die. You know, as long as I'm good enough, I'll get in. But let me tell you, if, that, if that's you, that's not what the Bible teaches. I used to believe that same thing until somebody showed me the truth of Scripture. That's not what the Bible teaches. Because you're good, measured against God good, you're always going to fall short of his glory. We cannot earn our way into heaven. There's no amount of good works that, are, that would be good enough to get us in. The only way to be saved is through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Well, but Pastor Mike, I try to be a good person and, and get in heaven. No, see, through faith, this is not of your own doing. Not by good works. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so once you kind of come to grips with the fact that, man, there's only one way in, What you need to do is, if you want to be forgiven of your sins and assured of your salvation, then all you must do is admit that you're a sinner, repent of your sin, asking God to forgive you, and then place your faith in the person and work of Jesus, believing that his sacrifice on that cross was sufficient to, for your salvation, to save your soul. John 3.16, the most beloved verse in all of Scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Church, that's, that's the simple message of the gospel in a nutshell. And our job is to faithfully communicate this simple, unchanging message to the unbelieving world, to anyone willing to hear. 
And God's job, God's job, not ours, is to change people's lives as they respond to it. And so this brings us to the third principle. Keep your mindset simple. Keep your mindset simple. Look at verses 3 and 4. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. Church, the difference between a rowboat and a speedboat is that a rowboat requires human effort to move, while the speedboat moves based on an outside power source. Relating that to the Christian life, a rowboat represents a Christian who relies on their own power to get where they need to go. A speedboat, on the other hand, represents a Christian who relies on the power of the Holy Spirit to get them where they need to go. Paul was a speedboat Christian. He relied completely on the Holy Spirit's power to get him where he needed to go, especially when it came to preaching the gospel. When Paul said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, this does not suggest that he suffered from stage fright. You see, Paul had proven himself to be a bold and fearless preacher. He certainly wasn't afraid to preach the gospel to the Corinthians. More than likely, Paul was deeply concerned with his own inadequacy. Think about that. The Apostle Paul, such a huge giant in the Christian faith, came to the Corinthians in fear and in trembling, not because he was afraid of them or afraid to preach the gospel, but because he recognized how insufficient and how inadequate he was. You see, the spiritual needs in Corinth were great. They were outstanding. And in his own strength and power, there is no way the Apostle Paul was going to be able to meet them. And so it's for this reason Paul resolved to keep this simple mindset when it came to evangelism. Instead of using clever and persuasive speeches, he preached the simple gospel. And he relied solely on the power of the Holy Spirit to make it effective in the lives of those who hear. That's it. That was his strategy. And do you know what? It worked. Church, it worked. Look at it. In Acts 18.8, it says, And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul what? Believed. And then what did they do? They got baptized. The simple gospel. There's power. There's power in the simple gospel. Now again, church, just to be clear. Just so you, I don't get any emails this week. Just to be clear, God is not against preparation or passion or clear articulation when you speak. In fact, those are important things to foster as you grow in your faith. Paul's not promoting lazy Christianity here. I mean, literally, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, some gifts are teaching and preaching. So there's this idea of you want to foster the gifts that God has given to you. So, so the Lord is certainly not against any of those things. However, what God is against... And this is kind of the point. God is against self-reliance. He's against putting confidence in our own skills and abilities when we preach the gospel. We need to remember that no amount of human cleverness or persuasion can ever change a person's heart. Only God can do that. To quote Spurgeon one more time, he said, The power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise, men would be the converters of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it would exist in the wisdom of men. 
We might preach until our tongues rotted, till we would exhaust our lungs and die, but never a soul would be converted unless the Holy Spirit be with the word of God to give it the power to convert the soul. And so all this to say, when it comes to evangelism, we'd be wise to take a page out of Paul's playbook. The spiritual needs of today, church, are just as great, if not greater, than they were in the days of Corinth. And in our own strength and abilities, we are inadequate to meet the needs. We are. However, sharing our faith becomes much less intimidating and much more effective, by the way, when we stick to the simple mindset of, you know what, I'm going to preach the good news of Jesus as I know how to preach it, and I'm going to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit alone to convict and to convince and to change lives. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5a says, For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words. I mean, we could do words all day long. It wasn't just with words. It was with, also with power. They relied on the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit gave you the full assurance that what we said was true. And this leads us to the fourth principle. Keep your motives simple. Your motives. Look at verse 5. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. On May 26, 1975, American country singer Glenn Campbell released a song called Rhinestone Cowboy. And the song tells of a man who one day hopes that he'll reach stardom. He imagines a day when he'd be wearing shiny outfits and people would be calling his name. He also imagines getting offers over the phone and making deals because of his popularity. And one of the lines in the song confidently says, I'm going to be where the lights are shining on me. Church, there are many people in the world who want the lights to shine on them. In fact, that's what drives them. They work so hard to build their brands, to gain more followers, and to be in the spotlight as much as possible. This is true of our Western culture now, and it was true of the Corinthian culture then. However, when it came to the gospel, Paul had a different attitude and a different motivation. Instead of putting the spotlight on himself, he wanted the spotlight to be on Jesus. He deliberately ministered in such a way so that people would not leave saying, what a marvelous preacher. They would leave saying, what a marvelous God. That was Paul's primary MO, giving God glory. In fact, it's important that we maintain that same attitude. Because if we're not careful, church, we could easily steal the spotlight from God. The last thing that we want is for someone else's faith to rise and fall on us. The goal of sharing the gospel isn't to make us look good, it's to make God look good. It's to make the light shine on him and him alone. Later in this book, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, whatever you do, do what? All to the glory of God. And so as I, as I close today, I want to encourage you to consider just a few questions in light of what we talked about this morning. First, what keeps you from sharing the gospel? Honest evaluation between you and the Lord. I don't need you to shout out answers to me. What keeps you from sharing the gospel? Can it be that you're trusting in your own performance, skills and abilities, maybe self-preservation, are you trusting in all of that to change someone's life instead of the power of God? 
And because you're doing that, you find yourself handicapped by fear. Friend, I hope that you learn today that it doesn't have to be this. This does not have to be the case. And second, keeping that in mind, who needs to hear the gospel from you this week? Who did you pray for earlier before we, we had our baptisms? Who, who did God put on your mind? Someone once said, you are the only Bible some people will ever read. And if that's true, and, it, and, it, and I'm sure it is for many people, might I encourage you to give them the one message that will change their lives forever? Church, there's a lot of good, a lot of good in the good book, isn't there? There's so many wonderful promises and truths of God that we could use to encourage people. But when it comes to reaching the unbelieving world, there's only one message that's going to change their lives forever. That's the message of the gospel. I love what Greg Laurie said. He said, the gospel, don't underestimate its appeal. Don't be ashamed of its simplicity. Don't add to it or take away from it. Just proclaim it and then stand back and watch what God will do. Amen? How about it? Now, if you're here today, having never responded to the gospel, I want you to know that your life can change forever right here, right now. Absolutely change forever. Not only does God offer you the free gift of eternal life, but he offers you his grace. Listen, his grace is not just for, to save you. His grace is to sanctify you. He gives you the grace to get rid of your sinful habits and your hang-ups. He gives you the grace to help you live a new life for him. Maybe you're here today like, man, I just, I got, I just need a new life. I can't keep going down this track that I've been going down. Maybe like one of our baptism candidates, you hit rock bottom and realize Jesus was the rock at the bottom. Let me tell you something. God wants to make you new. In fact, he promises to make you new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So, friend, if you want to be made new today, in the quietness of your seat, I want to encourage you to bow your head. Actually, we're all going to bow our heads. Let's pray together. But in particular, we're just going to close in praying a prayer that you can pray to God to ask him to make you new. So if that's you, just, just pray, pray with me in the quietness of your seat. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus Christ is your son and I believe that he died for my sin and that you raised him to life. Lord, this morning I want to trust him as my savior and follow him as my Lord from this day forward. Oh Lord, make me new. Lord, guide my life. Help me to do your will. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Friend, if you prayed this prayer and you meant it, then today is the most important day of your life. Most important day. Because today marks the beginning of your new relationship with Jesus. And so if you prayed to receive Jesus today, I just want to encourage you, mark it on your connect slip and place it on the basket on your way out. Way out. Not only that, come forward after church and grab one of these information packets. We have a Gospel of John. We've got another book that just answers some of the tougher questions of the Christian faith. We want to get you started on the next step. And quite honestly, if you prayed to receive Jesus today, the tank awaits. <laughs> Not right now, but, you know, we don't have to put, you, put that kind of pressure on you, although it is full. And we, and Dan, we can get Dan, Pastor Dan wet again, but, um, but in all seriousness, 
get started on the right track with your relationship with Jesus. And so we're going to close with singing one more celebratory song to celebrate the events of the day. So if you could hang tight, I'm going to invite the praise team to come forward. And as they come forward, let me pray for you, saints, saints of the church, those that have already placed their faith in Jesus, that God would embolden and empower you to share the gospel this week. Lord God, I want to thank you for the message that you've provided through your word today. I want to thank you for the reminder of the simple message of the gospel. And God, I pray for each one of us as saints, as your children, Father God, you have given us an important task, a great commission to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Father God, help us to take that great commission seriously. Lord, help us to be bold to share the gospel with people you place in our lives today. Help us to keep it simple and trust your Holy Spirit to change lives. Forgive us, Lord, for overcomplicating it. Forgive us, Lord, for allowing a spirit of, of fear to paralyze us from sharing the, the message that saved our lives. Oh, Father God, we need your help. We need your conviction. Help us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, for being our rescuer, being our savior. And we celebrate you today. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.